and welcome back to another episode of Brain Tools uh, with Kieran this week, talking about a very exciting topic, a very motivating topic, uh, motivation. How are you doing, Kieran? I'm doing swell, mate. And again, when we're talking about motivation, the peaks and the troughs, there's probably a few people, including ourselves, that have been through some motivational slumps, especially given you know we've gone through post-pandemic anxiety and we're going through it, and motivation seems to be coupled with that as well. I would uh, completely agree with that. There is a bit of post-pandemic motivation overload, especially socially, if you look at your calendars. I also think there's this social mismatch between uh, action and tension when it comes to motivation. Everyone has just come out of this period of our lives, this strange period where we were unable to do certain things. Uh, and the rebound effect in terms of over-motivation or depletion of motivation, I think is becoming prevalent. It makes sense because I'm always thinking about this phrase that I hear muttered by students when I was you know, delivering seminars at schools, but also just my friends. And it's the classic mm. case of, I know I should do it, but I don't have the motivation. It's always this link to the cause and effect of the inaction with this lack of motivation. And so I was thinking about it just in terms of, for us personally, mate, when's the last time you can recall having low levels of motivation? I'll, I'll level with you. Last couple of weeks, I've been very flat, very demotivated. Now, there are numerous factors that we will talk about a little bit later today, which contributed to those things. But uh, yeah, recently. Yeah. What do you? What would be some of the factors out of interest? I don't want to give too much away because it might uh, actually detract away from what we're going to talk about later, but some of my habits, some of my behaviors, I would also say the lockdown conditions uh, and social isolation contributed, workload, but then yeah, mostly some of the behaviors uh, I was engaging with, and I'll talk about why that actually impacted my baseline levels of motivation in, in the next section. I love it. A little bit of a, a cue to it, but yeah. I think this is the thing about it is that it happens to everyone. Like this lack of motivation doesn't discriminate. It happens in your sport, hobbies, relationships. And I think as you said, mate, the ultimate result of low motivation is that you actually do nothing. And the problem with doing nothing is that with that inaction, it can, can lead to a downward reinforcing cycle that can perpetuate all these negative feelings, the low self-esteem and the social isolation. And so it becomes this very circular thing that's unfortunate, but we need to know how to break it. Agreed. And I think not only can you do nothing, but often the coping mechanism when you're demotivated is to engage in activities that make you feel worse or reduce your overall motivation. I'm going to talk about the mechanisms for this later on. So please stay tuned for that part in particular. But I also think from a cultural lens, we are part of this somewhat demotivated millennial generation. You know, there's millennial misaction in the face of motivation because of these generational circumstances, rising home prices, stagnant wage growth, inheritance of climate issues. I think culturally, uh, a lot of our generation uh, actually feels some form of demotivation in the face of these huge pressing issues that we've inherited. So that's something we, we want to talk about too. Yeah. And as you said, the, the internal and external factors that link with motivation, which is one of my current circumstances, um, as you said, some of the issues that you inherit and also your inward sort of locus of control, what's going on there. And so there are ways, we promise, to boost your motivation, to increase it based on the neuroscience, but also even some ways to bypass motivation altogether so you have a bias to action. So, Sammy, I reckon we get into this. And I think the way to start is all about definitions, as we are. But I, I like, you know, it's when you look up like the word motivation, it feels like it's been like completely botched. There's so many different things that come out. But the one that resonated strongly with me was the very simple one. 
It was. It didn't have four or five sentences about it. It was simply the energizing of behavior in pursuit of a goal, i.e. you have a reason to do something and you are compelled by it. And I think this is, it was an important penny drops moment for me because I think, and this is I think, I feel, not based on the science, but I think we think of it as like an external force. It's like that motivation happens to us. It's this fairy dusty sprinkle on top. It's like, hey, this person's motivated, go on your way. But I think what that definition helps frame is that motivation is both an input and an output. It's not just one or the other. And the inputs are obviously based on the quality and the quantity of your actions, habits, and behaviors. And the rewards, the output, the the goal that you end up achieving, which is obviously important, then becomes a feedback loop to then either reinforce or go away from those very actions and habits. Yeah, and really important distinction there. I would totally agree with because thinking about motivation as something that happens to us rather than something we generate means that you're trapped by the sensation that you are only motivated when you feel motivated as opposed to being able to be proactive and do things that increase or enhance your motivation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's like you've got to remember the cause and effect relationship. In order to have like for motivation to take place, you've got to do something. (laughs) (laughs) You do, you do. Classic Mark Manson, do something principle. We love that. Um, I think there's also this other component. If we delve just a little bit into the brain side of things and the neuroscience things, uh, around this idea that motivation is really anticipation. So in your brain, you have this prediction of reward. Your brain thinks something's good going to happen. Something good is going to happen, excuse me. And the neurons in your brain's dopamine creator, the ventral tegmental area, they vomit dopamine into this brain stream, this river. It's actually called your mesocortical limbic pathway, the dopaminergic pathway or rewards, reward circuitry you're into that kind of stuff and this leads to your motivation center which is your nucleus accumbens and and makes you feel driven to act and excited because dopamine is actually accompanied by epinephrine or adrenaline which excites you so what's actually happening in that process is your brain's kind of predicting this reward to happen maybe it's you winning your game of basketball or football or whatever it may be, or maybe it's getting that promotion or or making the sale, whatever it is. And that reward prediction is what mo- is motivating you to take action through this triggered catalyzed release of dopamine. And this is really, really important because in order to be motivated, you have to be anticipating something good happening or experiencing something good happening or mostly, yeah, this anticipation process. So you need to be looking forwards towards something in order to drive that reward prediction, which then therefore fuels the motivation that accompanies the dopamine release. And that's a really, really important thing, that motivation is really anticipation. Yeah, it's. I'm, I'm thinking about it, the link. Remember when we did that episode on habits, uh, episode four, mm. if you haven't uh, listened to it before, and we talked about you know James Clear's model in Atomic Habits of you've got the cue and the craving. It almost appears that this is obviously, you know, also we talk about anticipation, also the craving of it. And the two questions I'm reminded of here is like, what are you expecting and what actually happens? Mm-hmm. And if there's a disconnect between those two things, it is going to inherently impact your motivation. A, a classic example might be, I'm expecting to get 80% on this test but I get 75% instead. What happens to my motivation as a result? Or also you get above it. It, it raises really interesting questions about what you actually end up achieving based on what you expect and your ra- your brain's uh, prediction. Yeah, which is where you can actually run into uh, issues as well if you've got that mismatch between what you predict and, and the outcomes, which is why it's really important. And I think we're going to touch upon this a little bit later. To It's really important what you actually focus on as the reward and the, the the reward in your brain, so to speak. 
incentives. And I think yeah. um, as we sort of try and create a model, because again, you've sort of taken the, the top-down sort of brain um, components, I'm sort of going to zoom back out a little bit to be like, okay, take this example of Pygmalion theory. And it was coined by a dude called Rosenthal back in the day when he was looking at students um, and how teachers would actually act towards students in terms of the amount of help that they would give. And he was able to actually create a very simplistic model, but I think it's quite relevant when it comes to motivation. And he basically suggested that you've got a belief, that belief then leads to actions and behaviors, that action behavior leads to results and outcomes. And as a result of those outcomes, there are emotions that come up and also motivation, but there's a feedback loop to those existing beliefs. So to give a, a practical example, again, it's like a classic when we were at school, I don't like math. If I don't like math, I don't do math. If I don't do math, I don't do well at math, hence the goal. And if I don't do well at math, then the emotions, the lack of motivation to come through, reinforce that existing belief that I'm not good at math. In reality, and again, this is growth mindset, fixed mindset with Carol Dweck, but in reality, you just haven't done the stuff. And so I think the key thing to note of these points, when you talk about the prediction component, we can have predictions about our beliefs, which also lead to thoughts that can deplete and you know discourage or encourage motivation. The action can sometimes be unenjoyable, which can impact our mo- motivation. And the result, which is normally the big one, external and internal, can also lead to positive negative emotions and obviously motivation. And this is at the core of self-limiting beliefs, which are also self-fulfilling prophecies. They can be very positive for us if we can self-suggest and create these narratives in our head. They also can be pretty debilitating if we get it wrong. Mm, I would agree with that because beliefs really are predictions that are then reinforced by outcomes, of which there's bias involved because our beliefs frame what we're looking for in terms of evidence. It's confirmation bias. Mm, and oh God, so many show me shout outs to episodes. Episode 18 yes. and 19 on biases and conflicting mm-hmm. beliefs. Boom. <laughs> and coming back um, from the Pygmalion lens to more of a, a brain and psychology lens, there's this really great idea which I think helps frame motivation around hardware and software. The hardware being your body and your brain and the software being your mindset and your psychology. So if we start with hardware, your body physically has to have enough dopamine stored in your brain to motivate you. So if you're in a dopamine low state, you will feel dopamated. Uh, you will feel demotivated. Dopamine. I really like mate, that. Coin that term. Dopamine. Coin that dopamine. You will feel I like dopamine. it. Dopamine. <laughs> um, yeah, put it on a wall somewhere. Get it on a sticker. Come on. Yeah. So if you don't actually have enough physical dopamine in your system, it's going to be really, really difficult for you to be motivated to do anything. How do you get dopamine? Well, it's produced through uh, amino acid, L-tyrosine in particular is the precursor, which are the building blocks of it. The thing is when you engage in highly rewarding behaviors, so when you go out and have a whole bunch of drinks, when you binge watch Netflix or TikTok or scroll Instagram, whatever your rewarding behavior is, you're actually depleting your dopamine reserves um, and therefore your available baseline level of dopamine drops your readily available uh, pool of dopamine is depleted and because you only have a finite amount in your body and your brain every time you're engaging in things that are really rewarding and not replenishing yourself afterwards it's almost a bit of a race to the bottom because you're taking out this dopamine stock but you're not filling back up the warehouse and this is a problem because for people who try to escape from feeling demotivated by doing things that are really rewarding to the brain that trigger these these peaks in base uh, dopamine or these spikes in dopamine. Maybe that's scrolling uh, a social media platform or whatever your vice is. 
this can actually create this self-perpetuating cycle where you're decreasing or depleting your overall baseline levels of dopamine, which therefore means it's harder to be motivated. So then you keep re-engaging in these behaviors that are actually keep continuously depleting it. And that's a big problem. Um, it also happens this dopamine depletion uh, after you achieve something really, really big. It's called postpartum depression. So after you win, you know, win your trophy or after you win the championship, often a couple of months later, people feel a little bit demotivated and depressed because they've had this, this massive peak in dopamine, this surge, and then they've dropped back to a lower level of, of baseline. So that's really important to keep in perspective that your hardware, your body, and your brain has to have enough dopamine in it for you to be motivated. Yeah, the t- two comments on this one, um, because one, I think one, the it's almost a little bit, I find it a little bit empowering to know that there is a molecule that is responsible or heavily responsible for it. I think a lot of people can say, I don't have motivation because, as you said, external circumstances, but just noting that there is a biochemical lens to it. There is an Mm -hmm. element of cause and effect. Um, You can take it either way, but I think that's an important thing to note. Just remember um, that dopamine is playing a very key role. I think the second one, I'm reminded with postpartum depression, mate, you know, when you speak to like um, elite athletes or people who have achieved a lot, it's the classic of once they've got there, and you said this right, they, they sit there and be like, what now? Like I've been working towards this for so long and I'm mm-hmm. here and it wasn't exactly how they predicted they were going to feel. And so therefore the classic is they need to find another thing and another thing and another thing because they're setting performance-based goals, which we'll, we'll get to a little bit in the brain tool section. Um, but they then, you know, it's the hodonic treadmill, which we love, you know, we love, I love to talk about a lot, <laughs> <laughs> but it becomes that, again, you say that self perpetual yeah. cycle where you've got to find the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And that's an interesting interaction between, you know, the goals you set and, and the dopamine that you, you obviously um, have. Yeah. And I, that's a really good point that it is totally empowering because if you're feeling demotivated, a, the first place to look is at your hardware and to see if maybe you are depleted in dopamine. And rather than blaming yourself, you can start to take actions to do that. But the real question is then like, what does dopamine actually do? How does it work? Yeah, spot on. And I think what's interesting about dopamine, and it's been coined as, you know, the molecule of more um, Mm -hmm. in recent times. And again, it is linked with motivation, reward, et cetera. Um, But there was a really interesting study, mate. um, And it was from in 2012 from Vanderbilt University. And what they basically found at a high level is that dopamine plays an incredibly important role in generating positive motivation. But here's the kicker. And negative motivation depending on where in the brain it acted. So you have this molecule, which is quote unquote, the molecule of more, and depending on that area, it will influence uh, the actions and behaviors accordingly. So for example, high levels of dopamine, dopamine in one area of the brain drove people to want to work really hard for that reward, the effort, but high levels in another drove them to reject that, wa- that work. And so it's not just about reward, it's about more. And it's this concept known as motivational salience. And what that basically means, it doesn't transmit signals just in response to the reward, which is I want this, but it also into really salient, non-rewarding stimuli. And a really good example of that is stress or aversion. Think about the last time that you had a really stressful experience. The dopamine would then, you don't want that to increase and be like, oh yeah, sick, let's go get that thing again. (laughs) It doesn't really make sense from a learning perspective. So I think the main takeaway from this study to add to what you're saying is dopamine motivates us either towards something or away from something and it doesn't actually play favorites and that becomes a really interesting link with what we've spoken about before habits learning reinforcement um, as well Mm, it's really important to think because for people who have social anxiety for example dopamine would be playing a role in driving them away from interacting with other people because as you said it's kind of the fuel for action as opposed to the fuel for motivation. Right. 
coined that term as well. You've got two yeah. terms. Like, Say that. That's a bumper sticker if I've ever heard it. He's on fire. He's hot. Two from two. Hot hand fallacy. Let's go. <laughs> I like that. Um, but coming back to this hardware software analogy. So if your hardware is in order, if your body's working well, you have enough dopamine in your system, your readily available pool of dopamine in your brain is sufficient to support you acting. The next thing is to look at your software, which is your brain software or your mindset, because this actually controls that dopamine release and motivation. And this ties in really, really well to what you were just talking about, because the exact same person, we, let's take two people, for example. One person is really, really anxious in social circumstances. The other person might be a complete extrovert, loves going to parties and talking to everyone, talks to strangers on the street, what have you. They could both be feeling a massive surge in dopamine towards a party invite, going to a party on Saturday night. But the extrovert feels a dopamine surge that's driving them to take action and to go to the party. They're excited. They're anticipating it. Whereas the introvert is feeling a dopamine surge that pushes them to avoid that behavior because of their anxiety. And so this is really, really important because basically what's happening is in their brain, their software is altering the impact of that dopamine. And it's also changing the release of that dopamine and, and how it's motivating them. Now, I don't think I could possibly say dopamine more times in one single sentence <laughs> than that. That's a tongue twister, mate. That's a bit of a tongue twister. But to make this really, really simple, what this means is what you think will happen dictates your motivation because your brain's software in the forebrain in your prefrontal cortex has this top-down processing, which it actually turns around and controls the other parts of your brain, these subconscious parts of your brain, which are responsible for these motivation mechanisms. And this is really, really important because how you think and how you think about a situation, your mindset, alters how motivated you can be about it. So once you've fixed or worked on your hardware and your hardware's in the right right spot, you've, you've got enough dopamine in your body. The second thing is to look at your software and your mindset towards situations. And as you said before, if your mindset is one where you're telling yourself you hate a particular activity and you, you never like maths and you're never going to be good at it, well, that's your software causing you to be demotivated. And that's going to be reinforced over time because that's what the brain does and how it learns. To finish yeah. up this car, sorry. No, no, don't say sorry, mate. I think that that's perfect because you're saying, the in, again, the interaction between your software and hardware. Like you've got these two steps, but there is a feedback loop and we love mm -hmm. feedback loops here, but it, it is mutually reinforcing and it, what the word that comes to mind is synergistic, right? Which is Ooh, your buzzwords. software and hardware leads to more than just the additions of yeah. the software and your hardware. Yep. Yeah, it's cumulative and they, they interact with each other and your software can actually change your hardware. I mean, that's neuroplasticity or self-directed neuroplasticity as we've talked about. Just finishing up with this quote from uh, Dr. Louisa Nicola. We did a fantastic episode with her. Go check it out. But she said, think of motivation as energy from a power station. You have to generate it and you have to create it. Your body is that power station and your mind are the employees who run it. You can't produce motivation this this energy without either but you also can't uh rely on one or the other they have to work synergistically that is that's a that's a mic drop Nicola, mic drop yeah fantastic that was a great episode as well yeah it was a really, really strong episode if you're interested in sports and recovery go listen to that episode so true well mate we've uh, we've covered uh, pretty much everything around motivation now, right? What is motivation? We've looked at hardware and software in that great analogy. We've looked at dopamine, the molecule of more, and how it obviously looks at reinforcing behaviors and actually avoiding other behaviors. So what I'd say right now is if you've been taking notes and you've been listening to this, good on you. Very, very good. But if you haven't, 
maybe one sentence, get your notes out, put that one sentence of what your main takeaway was. What was that aha moment that you said, oh, wow, I've learned something new about motivation? Because as you consolidate that, we'll be back shortly with four brain tools to boost your motivation. It's time for your brain break. Now, if you are loving this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could do one thing for us. Send it to one or two people that you think that this episode is super relevant for and can help them level up their brains, whether that's a WhatsApp group, Slack channels, messages, emails, you name it, whatever's easiest for you. Send the love, send that brain love, and now we'll head on to the tools section of today's episode. Welcome to the Brain Tools section of episode 38, which is all about motivation, four tools to boost your motivation and get you out of that motivational slump. Now, Sam, before we crack in, we talk a little bit about a hedge, right? Because I'm, I'm mindful that you know we can deep, go down the rabbit hole of motivation, very, very important, but I think there's one really key caveat to that. And it's a reminder that motivation, while it's important, it, it obviously goes down the rabbit hole. We want to be mindful of creating those good and bad habits, obviously breaking the bad habits, because that's the ultimate way to transcend the requirement for motivation, that discipline Mm. around it. So just a key note to structure your environment to facilitate the desired behavior and also social accountability. It means less effort slash motivation to perform the actions that are good for us. And I think James Clear coins it by saying habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. I have a tendency to agree, but obviously we want to do it hand in hand, your habits, your actions, and obviously the motivation are synergistic in nature. So yeah, that's my that's my hedge. Yeah, it's a good hedge because habits, are the systems, so supporting you know the the body, which is you, right? The body and the brain, the hardware and the software. And without those habits, you, your motivation can just be a band aid. It's a very very good point. Well, brain tools time, my friend. Brain tool number one. Let's get into you it. You ready for this? Yeah, let's go. I'm I'm ready. I'm waiting. Hey, you're pumped. Let's do it. So brain tool number one is leverage the three types of goals. Now, what that basically means is I think we assume, generally speaking, that if you set a goal, that you'll you know, it's correlated with motivation. We talk about the New Year's resolutions all the time, and it goes something like this, that we think it's going to happen like this. We set a goal. We'll get motivated to achieve the goal. We'll put in the effort to achieve the goal, and then we'll achieve the goal. Now, if that was the case, then people's New Year's resolutions would always be hit. It'd be a hundred percent completion rate, but it's never a hundred percent completion rate. So much research. I think I saw like 10, 15 different journal articles around this showed anywhere from 50 to six percent of 50 to 60 percent of people give up after one month. And so the question becomes what's more important? It's setting the right goals in the right context with the right accountability mechanisms. So you actually end up doing the work. Yeah, it's, I think we've you've spoken about this particularly well before. When it's it's not just how fast you're going; it's also the direction you're traveling. You want to be going the right way. Hundred percent. Got to set that direction slash GPS in the right way. And so I think the key thing here is to understand the three different types of goals that might obviously be suited to you, but some that you might want to avoid. And there's three based on the research, which is avoidance-based goals. A classic avoidance-based goal is I don't want to fail. And that was coined by a guy called David McClelland, cognitive psychologist. There's two other types though, the performance-based goals, which is I want to achieve 80% or I want to be the best in my field. I want to be the best person coined by Carol Dweck and a mastery-based goal, which is Again, my bias is coming in for golf, but I want to get good at golf for the sake of it. I want to get good at drawing 
for the sake of it by Carol Dweck. And there's those three distinctions. I think it's pretty clear you want to avoid the avoidance-based goals because mm. that is more, you know, of a, I suppose there's insecurities that lie with it. There's lack of self-esteem and so on. Obviously, we need to look at changing it, but those performance-based and mastery goals are what we want to end up focusing on. I think there could also almost be a bias towards the mastery-based goals as well because of the emphasis on process rather than outcomes. We've talked a little bit about this anticipation of reward driving motivation and behavior. And if you've got an outcome-based goal and you don't achieve that outcome, then there's likelihood that you'll feel less motivation next time because the anticipation of reward is going to drop um, as it corrects itself. Reward prediction error is what it's called. But if you've got a goal that's focused on mastery, then the process in and of itself is the reward. 100%. And then that's where we get into, as you said, intrinsic and you know extrinsic reasons when it comes to motivation. Yep. So the, the way that I want to frame this for, for any individual that wants to actually try and implement it is, I suppose, the following process, so to speak, which is you want to obviously determine what area you want to set your goal in, whether it's your career, sport, life, relationships, it can be absolutely anything. The key thing here is to, as you said, view performance-based goals and mastery-based goals as connected. Not one being, you know, hypothetically better than the other, but they also can be connected. And so you want to create a cause and effect relationship between the goal and the behavior required to achieve that goal, the classic of lead and lag indicators. So an example of this might be the number of drawing sessions with the quality of your drawing, the number of calls to be made with a total dollar value sales, the number of goal swings, and hopefully the percentage of good swings and your score at golf. But I think the key thing to note here is people can get really early on when they're starting something new or when they're in something like a new role, they track the output so clearly to your point. And that's when they can lose a lot of motivation because they expect themselves to be fantastic only after a short period of time. And so I think track, I suppose, the output once you've reached a certain level of competency. The really good example I've got here is La Masia, which is the Barcelona Academy. And they only actually keep scores in football games from 15 onwards. Mm. Um, but they don't do it beforehand. So it's all about the skill. It's all about the game and the joy of the game. And then they obviously start to incorporate that later on. Um, and I think the, the key benefit for you here is you're more likely to develop intrinsic reasons for doing the task to your point, Sam, as opposed to just the risk extrinsic rewards of looking good status and money, because that's the never ending journey where you'll never, ever get past the finishing line. Hedonic treadmill, hedonic treadmill. Uh, yeah, which makes a lot of sense when you think about the the research around intrinsic and extrinsic motivation too, because we know that once extrinsic motivation is activated, if there's a reward at the end of a session or you get a sticker every time you do something, but then that's taken away, that you can lose motivation completely for that activity. So this idea of tracking the output and then focusing on the process is probably a better way to create a reward around the effort of the activity versus the outcome of the activity. 100%. And that's brain tool number one, leverage the three types of goals. Very nice. Strong brain tool. And once you've leveraged those three types of goals, there comes a point in time where you just sometimes need a bit of a boost to motivate you to do something in the moment because you're feeling flat, you're feeling demotivated, but you need to get stuff done. In those times, I'm going to give you two physical things you can do Ooh. as part of this brain tool. And that is to either some get some cold exposure therapy. So take a cold shower, jump in cold water. Or if you can't do that, queue up and listen to your best feel-good music. Yeah. I, I, the second one is huge, right? Whenever you're in a bit of a slump, putting some feel-good tunes on. I swear Spotify's playlist Feel Good is literally one of my most played playlists. <laughs> they know you. They know you. Or maybe they know your brain. Um, totally agree with that. The science is really, really strong too. So for cold exposure therapy, 
this can actually lead to a 250% sustained rise in your baseline levels of dopamine. And we know that that can then contribute to uh, an overall feeling of motivation, a boost in concentration, et cetera. And this is the same amount as cocaine. 250% is the same amount of rise as cocaine over time. Uh, There's one study in particular, human physiological responses to immersion into water of different temperatures by P. Shramek in uh, 2000. Why does this happen? Well, it's because this is your body's natural response to release dopamine, uh, a little bit of cortisol too, which subsides after a period of time, and adrenaline when exposed to cold uh, temperatures to survive. And what happens is over time, when you're in this cold temperature, when you're in the cold water, the ocean, or the cold shower, more and more dopamine is released in order to motivate you to get out of the cold. But this also increases your your overall uh, baseline levels of dopamine in your brain over that period of time. Then the second one, feel good music. Where's the science behind that? Well, we actually know that when we listen to our favorite songs, this activates our reward circuitry, the dopaminergic pathways in our brain and triggers the release of dopamine, which will also raise your baseline. Uh, Obviously, this is more over a temporary in the moment fix. This is not going to change your baselines over time. But there was a study done uh, which stated dopamine modulates the reward experiences elicited by music. Laura Ferrari in the prestigious PNAS Journal 2012. And basically, both of these things will have an impact on you by raising the amount of dopamine that is released into your brain and then giving you a temporary surge in motivation. So knowing that, how you would use something like this or how I would use this. When I wake up uh, in the morning and I'm feeling a little bit flat, I have a cold shower to start my day. And it's it's incredible how much more energized and motivated you can feel because you've got the, the rush of dopamine, but then also energy from uh, epinephrine slash adrenaline and a little bit of that cortisol too. Or when I used to walk to work in the morning in, in Brisbane, in Bris Vegas. Bris Vegas. Bris Vegas. <laughs> I'd often finish my work, my walk, with five to 10 minutes of feel good music before I got into the office, because then I found that was stimulating this release of dopamine another other uh, feel good neurotransmitters and neurohormones. And then I got into work and I was motivated for the day. So that's my brain tool. Number one, if you're needing motivation in the moment, either try a cold shower, cold exposure therapy, or feel good music. Yeah, the, the, the cold shower and the, the coupling of the music is, is super important because I think, as you said, it's a physical sensation mm. and manifestation that helps with the motivation and the one thing on the cold shower part because sometimes i'd wake up in the morning and i'd be feeling flat but then i'd be like i thought i think a hot shower is going to make me feel better what i had to do in the end was put a reminder on the the shower which is said if you're feeling flat cold shower not hot you idiot yep. <laughs> <laughs> and look to be fair like i it's ended jarring. up taking more cold it showers because jarring. it was a bit of a, a rejig um yeah. for me as well so maybe that can help out a few people who obviously love love the warm showers in the morning Absolutely. A warm shower may make you sleepier. And we've covered that on our episode on sleep. So go listen to that too. Love it. Now, brain tool number three, uh, following on from yours, mate, is praise the specific actions and outcomes. So a bit of a follow on from the three types of goals that we spoke about. But one of the main things that happens like when we achieve a goal, when we do something quite great in our life, irrespective of whether we actually care about it, is that the people around us actually reinforce the good and bad behaviors and influence our motivation through our praise. And Lisa Feldman Barrett has said, paraphrasing this, that we're the only known animals that can impact each other's central nervous systems through words. And I think this mm-hmm. is the key thing to note here is that, and they give you the example, Sam, of like, say you get a promotion. I've seen this happen live in action like four or five times. The classic is, well done on your promotion. That's awesome. You have more money. You get it. Smashing it. Awesome. 
right? And the problem with this is it's generic, not specific. It's not talking about anything specific about what the person has done, but it's also focused purely on the outcome and not on the process. Obviously, there's people that don't give praise as well. That's a conversation for a different day. But this inevitably means that the individual who sits there, especially those that fear rejection or value status and so on, um, will actually value the outcome over anything else. And this isn't sustainable as we've spoken about. It reinforces the extrinsic reasons for doing something. And it's especially problematic when someone achieves something without working for it. And our mate, Andrew Hubbs, the great man, um, with this tweet recently, which you sent me actually, mate, that I'm going to rehash, is <laughs> pleasure is not a problem. Dopamine is not a problem. Too much pleasure experienced too often without a prior requirement for effort in order to achieve that pleasure is terrible for us. And yeah. I think it reinforces that point to be mindful that pleasure, we can actually give other people pleasure through the words that we say. And we want to be mindful of that, especially if someone has put in zero effort to get to that particular place. Yeah, which is a, a massively important distinction uh, to make because it's it's really about the reinforcement of behaviors when it comes down to it. And thinking about that in the context uh, of our goals and how we reinforce those behaviors in a way to keep um, reinforcing the the action behind them. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And so that's why it's very clear that this brain tool is all about praising the effort and the quality of actions that leads the outcome. Um, I just, again, want to really emphasize this point, which is beware the false dichotomy of saying, you know, one is more important than the other, that actions and process are more important than outcome. They're both important. It just depends on the situation and the type of goal that you're striving towards. Um, but Sammy, implementation-wise, how you would actually go about using this. I've got two <laughs> examples. So I'm going to reflip the promotion one and then go into something about relationships. Ah, but fantastic. say you do... Someone, one of your mates gets a promotion. Um, yep. Praise the effort, the strategies, the long hours, going above and beyond, and the specific observations of the behavior that contributed to that outcome. Obviously, luck, luck has played a role, but if you do that, the person's going to get that dopamine hit. That's actually more about that and the words that you that they hear around that, as opposed to saying "well done" on achieving X, Y, and Z. That's my first example. I, that's a really good example, not just for a promotion, but also if you're teaching. Or coaching at any stage. Mm. Walk me through it. I'm keen. Well, you could apply the same thing if you had a, a student or if you're a manager coaching someone and they achieve some form of outcome, they got a good mark or they create a really great project. If you praise their effort, if you pro praise the strategies and the things that got them there rather than the outcome, you're doing the same thing, reinforcing uh, behavior and the protocols that went into it. Yeah, mate, I really like that example and really good extension. Um, it doesn't matter what facet uh, you're in, it can still apply, mm -hmm. especially from that teaching coaching lens. Um, the other one that I, I bring up is improving your relationship. Now, yeah. I've heard, seeing a few mates recently who, you know, they've been getting feedback, feedback vice versa. And I think when it comes to implementing feedback and it comes to a relationship is inherently very, very difficult. Um, a lot of the time because there's, there's the feedback that's given, but then there's the reinforcement that the person is doing the right thing if they've actually made the change as well. And this happens on both lenses. And I think, let's just give the example, you get that feedback and you personally determine that you want to double down on that feedback. Let's just say the feedback is you might not spontaneously contact the person enough or you might be go two or three days without texting or something like that, right? Um, you then say, okay, I'm going to actually double down on spontaneous contacts per week or per day. You do this by calling, voice notes, whatever it might be. If that is starting to happen, obviously, if it's not happening, that's a different thing. But if it's starting to happen, the other person can reinforce this behavior by saying something like this. I've really noticed that you've contacted me more recently. I love that you've put in the effort and that you've called, you've texted, you've done things. I've really noticed that. When you do that, it makes me feel super valued, like you're actually caring for me. You're thinking about me. 
thanks so much. I really appreciate you. That's a Ted Lasso line. The last one, I appreciate you, not I appreciate it. Now, I know that seems like really long, but that actually can do wonders for reinforcing the behavior. It doesn't guarantee it, but it's just an example of praising both the specific actions and process and the outcome it has on you as an individual and obviously the other person itself. God, we love Ted Lasso. God, we love Ted Lasso. <laughs> mate, he's such a, mate, that Mo, he's winning Movember. He, I think he won Movember. I think he is <laughs> Movember. I, I noticed he actually does this in the show a little bit. He has this action of throughout the show, positively reinforcing people's actions, their processes, true. and then the outcome. So he actually does this. That is so true, man. That's actually spot on. And it's a lot of like, instead of it, like it'll be the action, but he'll also say you because it's part yeah. of the identity as well. I love the way you're thinking and how you got to this stage and uh, I'm excited. And he'll often, yeah, really, really make it specific to, to the person too. So lasso, brain tools. I love it. And that's, uh, yeah, my, the brain tool number three. So brain tool number three, this idea of praising specific actions and the outcomes, especially as it relates to a person, to show that you're valuing and appreciating their efforts uh, and their behaviors as well as the things that they produce. Um, which is therefore shining a spotlight on all the all the things that are going into the outcome um, to motivate others and yourself. Love it. Mate, you bring us home. Let's go. Let's go. And this is into brain tool number four. Uh, brain tool number four is for when you are feeling a little bit flat over time. And it is a 30-day dopamine behavior fast. And we've talked about dopamine fasts before, but not quite in this context. Context. So if you're feeling flat or defeated, you might have a low baseline level of dopamine caused by overengaging in dopamine spiking activities, which is depleting your readily available pool of dopamine in your body. We're talking about that hardware lens. Very, very interesting. I think the the, the interesting part about dopamine fast, I think when we last spoke about it, mate, I think people were botching it. Like mm. people were taking it completely out of context and they're not tying it necessarily to the activities or the behaviors. They're just saying, deplete your dopamine. <laughs> we're right. like, uh, how? <laughs> yeah. There was definitely uh, some miscommunication on this idea of dopamine fasting because you can't physically fast from dopamine. You can only fast from behaviors that cause spikes in dopamine. Makes sense. Which is really important. So that leads into this tool which is if you go for a 30-day dopamine behavior fast, stop engaging completely in whatever behavior you're addicted to or whatever you use as a coping mechanism. For example, this could be TikToks. You could scroll through TikTok when you're feeling demotivated or maybe you binge Netflix or maybe uh, you ingest alcohol or narcotics, drugs, if that's your choice. Could be video games, could be scrolling Instagram. Whatever your behavior of choice is, your addicting behavior of choice, Every time you're engaging with this, you are spiking your dopamine in a way that can deplete your baseline levels of dopamine. Mm, mate, I'm I'm super, super intrigued by this. I'm, I'm interested in knowing what the science is out of interest. Yeah. I mean, the science is pretty much straightforward. But the idea is that when you're low in motivation, you have a desire to indulge in these instant rewarding activities. Mm. which actually further depletes your dopamine stores. And if we think of dopamine as kind of energy that can be used for motivation towards action or away from action, if you don't have any of this energy, any of this fuel, you're never going to be able to drive very far uh, with your motivation car. The thing is people who are typically low in dopamine will seek out these kind of behaviors. And I mean, I know this is true. 
because when I'm demotivated, what do I want to do? <laughs> I want to scroll. I want to go and read silly Reddit threads. Uh, I want to go and do anything that doesn't require any effort that feels good. But the problem is it gets worse and worse because it's kind of like running out of money um, to use Andrew Huberman's uh, analogy. It's kind of like running out of money then going to a pokies machine and continuing to lose quarter after quarter, except there's no chance of winning. You never win. You just keep depleting your dopamine stores. So this becomes really problematic. And I think especially prevalent with the amount uh, of people who play video games and use that as their outlet to think about if you are feeling a bit flat, maybe it's time to reflect on the things that you engage with that you find addicting, give you instant rewards that could be depleting your your overall levels of, ba- of baseline dopamine. Mm, I, yeah, I think the the interesting part on, um, I suppose, this, this dopamine stuff is like people don't realize that it's happening. Like mm. it's so automatic. Like it's like, Literally, people, first thing in the morning, they'll get their phone out, but they won't even think about it. They just do it. become this unconscious habit as well. Oh, totally. So, I'm, uh, I'm, again, I'm interested. I'm intrigued at uh, what the results have been for you slash what you're going to do about it. So, results for me is I haven't really started implementing this until we recorded this episode the last week or so. So, Hell here yeah. You go. Starting the action. I like but it. <laughs> I'm personally taking a dopamine fast um, from Netflix and TikTok. So, deactivated my TikTok account. Uh, I've stopped watching Netflix. Stop binging from both because I noticed there's a direct correlation between the days I feel demotivated and how much I'm indulging in these activities on these days. So for the next 30 days, watch your space, no TikTok, no Netflix, uh, Netflix, Netflix, I'll report back on how I go. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I think I'm, I think it's going to be so beneficial for you because I'm thinking about it from my, like, I want to use this. So I'm thinking about how I'm going to try and go about it. I think You've got probably a bit more willpower than me, slash you've, you're probably going to double down on this. I'm going to try and do this just in the morning, which okay. is at, like in the first like 15, 30 minutes to, I think we spoke about it last episode, which is, you know, yep. growth time in the morning being really, really important. I'm going to try the first 15, 30 minutes, go for a walk, do something early on to get away from it. Um, and then, you know, later on if it does happen, because I think that's where, you know, we actually want our motivation is like in that morning period where you, for me, I'm more when creative. You need it, I yeah. want to produce and build something. So True. Mate, I'm liking this. Like, we've got to report back after 30 days. Tell yeah, the yeah, check back in. Hey, we tried. And then I'm going to have this epic fail with me. And then you'll be like, mate, I'm feeling so much Zen. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. I'll be like, I have too much motivation. That is poss- possibly one other alternative. So that's brain tool number four, which is a 30 day dopamine behavior fast where you basically take a fast from engaging in the addictive behaviors that could be depleting the dopamine available in your body to motivate you. Love it, mate. Let's go to the top and uh, give you a little bit of a summary, shall we? So brain tool number one, leverage the three types of goals. Just keep in mind that when you set a goal, it doesn't automatically mean motivation. It depends on the type of goal that you end up actually setting. Remember the difference between avoidance-based goals, performance-based goals, and mastery-based goals. And how you can actually use this is to find an area in your life understand the behavior, understand the outcome you're trying to achieve, create that cause and effect relationship and really put in the reps on that action set, especially early on. Don't worry about achieving the outcome. Just get good at getting good and you'll see later on that the outcome generally takes care of itself because you've developed intrinsic mo- reasons, which means greater consistency in the long term. Strong. And then if you are needing a little bit of a boosted motivation in the moment, use brand tool number two. Either have a cold shower, get some cold water on your body, or listen to some feel-good music because both have been proven to spike your levels of dopamine, increase your dopamine levels in your body temporarily. That'll give you some motivation to take action.
Love it. That beelines into brain tool. Number three, praise the specific actions and the outcome. Keep in mind that people around you can really influence your motivation by what they say and what they do, and particularly what they say. When someone actually achieves something in your life, make it really clear to drill back, reverse engineer based on what they actually did and tying it to their outcome. Whether it's promotion, their effort, their strategies, and what they achieve, which is the promotion, all the way to relationships of implementing the feedback that you've been given and actually giving praise for implementing said feedback, you'll find very clearly that you'll reinforce those very behaviors that you actually want and are desired. And that's going to make it better in the long term for yourself, for others and everyone around you. That's brain tool number three, praise the specific actions and outcome. And for brain tool number four, if you are a little bit flat, consider like Kieran and I have engaging a 30 day dopamine behavior fast Disengage from whichever activities you are somewhat addicted to, especially those you use as a coping mechanism for when you're particularly demotivated, whether that's scrolling Instagram or TikTok, binging video games, binging Netflix, find a way to fast from this behavior to allow your baseline levels of dopamine to recover, to normalize and find your motivation again. And that's brain tool number four. Brain tool number four. There, Those are four brain tools, mate. As we, we crack on, what is your 80-20 for this week's episode? My 80-20 is motivation is really anticipation and fuel. So you need to have enough motivation fuel, which, you know, dopamine in your body. And you also need to have the direction from anticipation to apply it. And that's where the software comes in, the mindset and some of the things you've talked about today. I love it. Uh, For me, it's focus on increasing the quantity and the quality of your actions that are tied to your goals. They are both important, not just one of them. And you'll find that motivation will take care of itself. Nice. Strong. I will also say, we we were talking about this before the the podcast, there are a million different things you can do to improve your motivation when it comes to Mm. brain tools, a lot of which we will be covering at some stage in a resource coming up at an undisclosed time. So- Oh, mate, this, this is like a little trailer you drop yes. in. <laughs> Easter eggs, just chuck it. Hansel and Gretel, breadcrumbs here and there. Um, yeah, so there's, there's definitely more to cover when it comes to motivation, uh, and we will be covering it at some stage. Absolutely. Well, that brings a close to episode 38, which was all about motivation. We hope you've got a few things out of it that you can implement in your life. If you are loving the show, we'd really, really appreciate you going on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, going on Spotify, your Spotify network, whatever it might be, following us, subscribing, um, giving us a rating, hopefully five stars, because that'd be very, very much appreciated and really supports us in our mission to democratize brain science to the masses. Sam, is there anything else people can do? You could also go and leave us a review on iTunes if you're liking that or go and follow us uh, on our social media accounts, Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on LinkedIn if any of those are your jam. Uh, And otherwise, stay tuned for next week. See you next week.